Hello everyone, welcome to Easter Sunday here at One Hope Baptist Church. If we haven't met before, my name's Jono and I'm so glad that we can join together for this time to celebrate what in the Christian tradition um, is so life-changing for people that Jesus rose from the grave. And so that's actually where I'd like to pick up the story uh, today, wherever you're listening. And this is recorded by, in the Gospel of John, a book in the Bible. And I'd like to centre our time today around uh, a woman whose name is Mary. And uh, you might be familiar with this story. You might be hearing it for the first time. Either way, I hope it makes sense to you and uh, you know the presence of God will speak to you um, most importantly. This is what John writes, and we pick up the story in, in chapter 20 um, of the book of John. And it says, Early on the first day of the week, while it was still dark, Mary Magdalene went to the tomb and saw that the stone had been removed from the entrance. This is several days after Jesus had died on the cross. And so we pick up the story here where Mary is alone. And John goes on to say, Now Mary stood outside the tomb crying, and as she wept, she bent over, bent over to look into the tomb. And she saw two angels in white seated where Jesus' body had been, one at the head and the other at the foot. And they asked her, Woman, why are you crying? Well, they have taken my Lord away, she said, and I don't know where they've put him. And at this, she turned around and she saw Jesus standing there, but she didn't realize that it was him. And Jesus asked her, woman, why are you crying? Who is it that you are looking for? And thinking it was the gardener, she said, sir, if you have carried him away, if you have taken him somewhere, tell me where you have put him and I will get him. And then Jesus says, to her, Mary. And she turned toward him and cried out, Rabbi, which means teacher. What an incredible situation um, that Mary never saw coming or never thought that she would be part of. In our house, we, uh, we like to look occasionally at these, you know, funny little YouTube clips. And I saw one where there was a person dressed as a bush, like a, a, a plant. And so from head to toe, you couldn't see him. It was just all green leaves. Obviously, he, could see, he or she could see out. And, and, and they would hide off to the side of buildings next to all this shrubbery and plants. You know, and as people would walk past, they would jump out and oh, people would get the life scared out of them and coffee's going flying and trying to juggle their mobile phone and things like that. And, and it struck me as I read this Easter story and I saw these little YouTube clips like, you know, if we can have our world rocked by someone dressed up as a plant, how much more the situation in which Mary found herself that first Easter morning? Now, let's go back a step, shall we? Jesus had been telling his disciples that over and over that he would die on the cross and then on the third day he would come back to life. You can read this for yourself in Mark, Mark, uh, the book of Mark in the Bible, chapters 8, 9 and 10. Jesus says it repeatedly. You know, Jesus had said that, but really a person coming back to life, like, come on. We might think of ancient people as being uneducated or superstitious gullible to sorts of all types of magic or trickery and supernatural stuff that we just don't believe in today. We are so much more cultured and advanced and have technology so much more than them. You know, but that's not true. They, just as we do, they, they believe that miraculous things could happen, supernatural things could happen, but a, but a resurrection of a person was 
equally implausible and completely unimaginable to them as what it would be for most people today. There's this interesting side note about the story of the resurrection recorded in the Bible because historians, whether they're Christian or not, whatever their belief system is, um, they will all agree that women at that time could not testify in court. You know, because their, their testimony, their words were considered unreliable. You would never, ever make a woman an eyewitness to something important. Yet, all of the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke and John, all four records of Jesus' death and resurrection have women, the first ones, to be the eyewitnesses of, an, of a resurrected Jesus. And it's like the writers of the Gospels are saying to us, Actually, whether they're viewed as unreliable or not, we are not going to twist the truth of what happened here. If women were, if Mary was the first one to see Jesus alive after his resurrection, that is what we are going to put. And we are going to put that because it is true. The evidence of Jesus' resurrection means that when all else is uncertain in our lives, of this we can be certain. And I'd like to share with us today briefly three things that we can live out right here and right now because of the historical evidence and truth that Jesus rose from the the grave. There's a really interesting line that Luke records um, when, when Mary is at the tomb and Luke records it this way where, you know, the angel said, why do you look for the living amongst the dead? And that brings us to our first point today, which is, Faith in Jesus means a contrast between life and death. How many times do we look for life in places where only death resides? I'll speak for myself. There's been times in my life where I've been so drawn to peering into what has eventually, I've eventually realised and recognised as an empty, as a tomb when I've gone looking for wealth, or affirmation, or the congratulation and applause of, of other people. We go looking for all sorts of things. We go looking for pleasure and knowledge and power and, you know, you add your own things to that list. We've all got stuff. And, 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 and the Gospels seek to highlight for us that what we do just purely because we're human is, and the reminder is, why are you looking for life where there's only dead things? Why are you looking for life in that particular place? Why are you looking for fulfilment there when you're never going to find it? The Easter story encourages, encourages us to set our attention completely on looking for where Jesus is. There is no life apart from except from the life that Jesus gives to us. And of course, where Jesus is, there is always life and there's joy and there's energy. And the Bible seeks us, God would encourage us to seek the living Saviour and the life that only He can provide us. What's really amazing about the Christian life is our every day and our every moment, as mundane as it may seem, can be a turning point again and again of reorientating and redirecting our life to, to being one that only Jesus can bring to us. We live in the completed work of Jesus Christ. Our sins have been forgiven. 
God has demonstrated his power by Jesus being resurrected from the grave. And so not only the consequences of our sin have been broken, but also too the guilt of our sin. We don't need to sit in this continual, like reside in this, oh, woe is me, I've done these bad things. And, you know, the declaration of the Gospels is that Jesus took this ragtag bunch of people and they become part of the most amazing story ever. And that story is available to both you and I. And that brings me to my second point that this story highlights, and that is God's love is personal. God's love is personal for you and I and each and every person. Mary didn't believe Jesus was alive until Jesus met her. You know, we've read here already that she was agitated, she was panicking, she was in tears and, and, and not able to see that Jesus was right in front of her. And can you remember where it becomes personal, where her eyes are opened? It becomes personal when Jesus says her name. In verse 16, he turns to her and says, Mary, Mary. And Jesus calms her mind and assures her heart. We can do a funny thing, I reckon, where we, you know, if we only believe that Jesus came to forgive people in general for their sins. Yeah, like, okay, this amazing, incredible gift for it, but it's for people in general. But then we never recognise that Jesus And we don't believe that Jesus died for us and then rose again to demonstrate his power, then we aren't really taking hold of Jesus and all that is offered to us by faith. Jesus' love, just as it was for Mary, is personal for each and every one of us. I really love how on that first Easter morning, it's like, in a sense, Mary becomes the very first Christian. What's a Christian, you might ask? Well, a Christian believed that Jesus died and rose again from the dead. And a Christian is someone who has has had an encounter with that risen Jesus. And in that moment, it's incredible to think, at that moment, Mary is the only person in the world for whom those things are true. The very first one. She is the first one to speak to a risen Jesus. You know... In this story, Mary sees an empty tomb and, and you know, it's not recorded that she, the first thing she thought or said was like, oh my goodness, like, you know, he's risen from the dead. Like, how incredible is this? No, no, in the midst of the, the, the greatest act of redemption and, and moment in human history, God breaking the power of sin and death through the resurrection of Jesus. And here's Mary staring right at it going like, no, sure, surely not. Like, she, she just can't. She can't see it. My mind goes to, and I wonder how much, how useful Mary felt in that moment. You know, that Jesus had promised this incredible thing would happen and yet she finds herself at the empty tomb and she doesn't see it for what it is. I wonder if there was part of her where she's like, oh man, I I can't believe I missed that. I can't believe I did that. It's a really common story that I hear and you see it time and time again through the Bible where we can read it for ourselves where people just went, oh man, I can't believe I missed it. And, and, you know, at times we can become overwhelmed with sense of of worthlessness and, you know, am I very useful at all? And I go back to the words of um, Christian author uh, Brennan Manning where he really simply says, the usefulness of my life 
is God's concern, not mine. And Jesus, on that, the morning of that very first Easter, in the midst of maybe Mary feeling, you know, not very worthwhile at all, Jesus' amazing declaration here is, I'm here to save you by my work, not by yours. Our works don't matter in the bigger scheme of things. Of course, of course God calls us to a life where we would passionately follow him, that our actions and our attitudes and our, uh, our words and the priorities in our life would be shaped by the, his presence, his Holy Spirit alive working in us. But first and foremost... the usefulness, the the blessing, the benefit of our life is found in what only Jesus can do for us. I really love it too as we read through this Easter story that no two people come to faith in exactly the same way. You can read this for yourself as, you know, followers of Jesus needed different amounts of time and they needed different evidence and experience as to what Jesus had said and was it really true for them. And these followers of Jesus, just like us maybe, they had many questions. They had doubts and they had uncertainty about Jesus' death and his resurrection. And it's like we can see their lives making the statement, oh man, like I want to believe this, but there's so much that doesn't seem to make sense. And that might be maybe true of you as well. Whether you're yet to come to faith, you're like, this doesn't seem to, you know, there's a lot going on in this story. Or maybe you've been a Christian for some time and you still, you still have those questions like, oh, there's so much that doesn't make sense to me and I kind of can't wrap my head around, I can't comprehend. Yeah, look, I think that's pretty normal. And to help us today, I'd like us to turn to a, a, a picture, a picture. And um, hopefully it'll come up on the screen wherever you are. And maybe you know who this person is. You can have a guess. I like this picture of him where, um, you know, never, never had a day of having cold ears in his life with a, with a hairdo like that. Do you know who this person is? This is, a, this is John Newton who wrote a really famous song. And the title of the song was Faith's Review and Expectation. Faith's Review and Expectation. And that wasn't a very good working title. So eventually it got changed to simply Amazing Grace. This is John Newton who wrote the hymn Amazing Grace, which is um, estimated to be sung over 10 million times each year in churches around the world. 10 million times. I'm not sure if you're familiar with much of his story, but um, as a young man, Newton began a, pa- a pattern of coming. Uh, very, he had some near-death experiences and then he would examine his relationship with God and he would kind of give his life to God, but then he would relapse into bad habits. And in his early life, Newton knew about God, right? He, and, and, and like a sailor facing stormy weather, when the, when the big waves of life rolled in and he would, you know, all the things would come against him, he would, he would come back to God and he would declare his faith in God and say, God, I'm yours amidst all these big waves. And, but then when all was smooth and easy going in his life, like the, you know, the perfect day on the sea, he would, he would renounce his faith and say, God, I don't need you anymore. Newton ended up as a sailor, actually, and involved in the slave trade. And, and he was involved in holding captive and transporting people held against their will in slavery in the, uh, from memory, the mid-1700s, I think it was. 
Newton was actually pretty sharp with his words too, and he, um, on the, on as a sailor on, on a particular boat, he he created obscene songs and ditties about the captain of his ship, and they were so catchy, they were so good that the rest of the crew would join in. Now you can imagine that this might have got him in a bit of strife, and so this ability got him into um, big disagreements with other sailors, and got him locked up while he was on the ship and starved in chains. And there's even a record of Newton being uh, aboard one ship, the Greyhound, where he soared to new heights with this ability with the words that he was able to use. And so, you know, sailors of these ships were known to be pretty rough and ready, and their language reflected that. Their language was pretty revolting, and the topic of conversation was often insulting and degrading. Now, some of you might be thinking, oh man, that sounds like a little bit like my workplace or my family or, you know, it's not foreign to us, is it? Well, amidst this culture, Newton became so well known for his salty language and he would use foul language the captain and crew reportedly had never heard before and and also creating his own words as insults and putting them in such combinations Anyone who heard them was absolutely astounded. And you know you must have a real gift for this when other people who are well known for their disgusting and revolting language and what they would talk about, when these people come to you and say, well, uh, John, um, maybe just tone it down a bit, mate. Like you've, you've gone a bit too far there. This is who John Newton was. And at a point in his life, though, he had a life-changing experience and he went on to, to uh, write the words we know so well. And this is from the song Amazing Grace, which starts, Amazing Grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. I once was lost, but now am found, was blind, but now I see. And that last line there, was blind but now I see, is ripped directly from, the, uh, from chapter 9 of the book of John in the Bible, where Jesus had just healed a blind man. Jesus moves on and this blind man is interrogated by the religious officials of the time who were trying to determine if Jesus really was who he claimed to be. We can read this in John 9.25 where they're interrogating this blind man and he responds to their questions and he says, Well, whether Jesus was a sinner or not, I don't know. But one thing I do know, I was blind, but now I see. This blind man is saying maybe what some of us would feel, you know, there is still so much I don't understand, but this I know. I was blind, but now I see. There's so much I still don't know, but God has changed my life. Yeah, there's stuff that still doesn't make sense to me, but God has intervened in my life in the most incredible way. And this blind man finishes off with the most incredible of words in it recorded in John 9 and verse 33, where he says, he's talking about Jesus. If this man, Jesus, were not from God, he could do nothing. Here he is taking assurance that, you know what, If Jesus wasn't really who he claimed to be, then he wouldn't have been able to do all this. And that brings me to my final point where, you know, if you've got those questions, if you're like, man, I've got, there's lots of stuff that I can't make sense of. 
that faith is a gift and it opens our eyes. Because our society would say, well, your faith is simply hoping in something that isn't or can't be true. But that's different to what the Bible would say our faith is based on. The Bible, Scripture would say, faith is the certainty of what we cannot see. If we look back at the evidence of Jesus' life, death and resurrection, it is there. Both Christian and non-historians could agree. And, you know, can you and I prove that Jesus uh, rose from the grave? No, we can't. We weren't there. But first-hand eyewitnesses who were would say, you know what? This did, this did happen. This is historical fact. And so our faith is not based on something that can't be true. It's based on something that we can't see. But what we can experience, how God has opened our eyes. It's like God has taken our heart, the bit of us that is created to know him, and it's been opened fully. We're like, we were blind, but now we see. So many of us have already experienced that, haven't we? Where There was times in our lives where it's like we were spiritually blind. We thought we could do life alone and we had the blinkers on and we would just do what we want. And just like Mary, we, would get like, we thought we would find life in places where there is only death. But God, by his grace, stepped into our lives and opened our eyes and illuminated our need for him. And this is what happened for John Newton. His heart was opened. And the same heart that is capable of offending a boatload of potty mouth sailors is capable of penning life-changing lyrics to a hymn. It's like Newton was saying, I am capable of being spiritually blind, but also God has the amazing ability of opening our, our eyes. Mary's eyes were opened that first Easter to see the resurrected Jesus to be able to see that his love is personal and that God is awaiting our response. And just as the first word Jesus, you know, one of the first words Jesus said to Mary was her name, that he would also call you and I by name as well. And so there's hope this Easter for each and every one of us. We can come into a life-transforming relationship with Jesus Christ. Do we need to know everything? Do we need to, are we expected to wrap our head around all the details and the things that challenge us or seemingly not make sense? No. There was still so much that Mary and the disciples kind of couldn't get their head around, but what was enough was that their faith was put completely in the person of Jesus Christ. And that was enough. And so today for you and I, our, our faith, can be placed squarely on the evidence for the resurrection, the experience of Jesus bringing life to us and knowing that he desires a personal response from us. And sure, there are things that we may not understand, but most of all we can say, God has opened my eyes to how much I need him. And whether you've already made that decision to put your life in God's hands, maybe you're a bit like Newton where you're like, when the waves are big, I do, and when the seas are calm, I don't. Or, or maybe you've never made that decision to put your life in God's hands. I'd encourage you to do that today. And it's as simple as you can just say out louder in your heart. You can just say, God, I want to put my life in your hands. I believe that Jesus' life was given for me.
I believe that his re resurrection demonstrated that there is no power that can, be, can stop the love of God for me. And so today I want to make myself one of your family, God. I want to say yes to you opening the eyes of my heart and coming into a relationship with you. And from there, I'd encourage you to find, you know, maybe you've got a mate or a family member who's a Christian. Find, tell someone else that you've made this decision and, and have them encourage you in this journey. Because like Newton, like the blind man, like Mary, like we've got, we've got days where it's like, you know, we're not sure what might be happening. There'll be circumstances that upset us or challenge us. But most of all, the gift of Easter is that we have hope because God is with us each and every day through the gift of Jesus. He pours his spirit, his presence into us so we're never alone. That's incredible. That is hope for whatever circumstance we find ourselves. So I hope this Easter that you would make that decision. You would put your life in God's hands and that together we can just say we have been brought into the most incredible family. The Bible would say we are, we are brothers and sisters in the family. He calls us his own. How incredible is that? And so Easter 2023, I hope you have a... Great time, whatever you're up to, and uh, yeah, you can find hope in Jesus Christ. Take care. Have a good day.